This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 103, Carl Smith on Fast Hypnosis. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Hey there, welcome back. It's Jason Lynette here with an outstanding hypnosis conversation and definitely an inspiring one and one that uh, went in some different directions than what we typically do. That so often this program begins with the superhero origin story, though Carl Smith is a guy from the UK who is best well known for various strategies that are all about rapidly creating some really powerful changes with an hypnosis client rather quickly as well. Well, so you're going to hear us interact with the themes of what is it that has to happen inside of the process to get the client to begin to rapidly change? What is it that we can do to satisfy the conscious mind as well as the subconscious mind to get the change in motion? And in many ways to listen to Carl's incredible story of what he went through, of what things he has personally overcome to take that and model that style of change for his individual clients as well. So with that, let's just jump right in. It's fast hypnosis. So let's quickly jump into the content here. This is session number 103, Carl Smith on fast hypnosis. So Carl, the way that usually we kick this off is uh, with the origin story as to how you got into this, but I want to start this somewhere a little bit differently with you. Uh, What is it that is the need? What is it that is the natural intention? You notice there's a lot of preambles to this question. Uh, What is it about helping people change quickly uh, Mm -hmm. or fast, to use your terminology, that is much more empowering than the slow, methodical change process? Okay, cool. I like fast change. I like quick change because I've been through the the low, the, the you know the slow methodical changes and 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 listened to some stories about people that have been put through torturous um, methods. And uh, I like doing it fast because what it does do is it shows the client there and then that something spectacular has happened. I like to allow my clients to feel that they've had an experience that something has happened in my session rather than them popping their eyes open or looking at me to ask me if something happened. So yeah, that's the reason I like fast techniques. I like them to have that, that empowerment straight away. Yeah. I'd share that uh, early on. One of the frustrations I had when I first got into hypnosis was that conversation after the hypnosis session, which I now have strategies to you know inoculate this before it even occurs. But the moment where the person's clearly, let's say it, confused in some way, and they're going, well, what should I do now? What should I expect? How do I know this has worked? And there's something about that more rapid style of a change process, whether it's bringing in the kinesthetic, whether it's bringing in the experience of it, that gives the person the instant validation, okay, yes, something is different here. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I, most of my students know I call it the Gandalf moment, that that moment where they think you're some type of wizard, where they can look at you and they know they're nodding. They're already starting to nod or they're starting to look at you and go, I can't find it. Where has it gone? What What's just happened? And I love that. Love watching people. It, it really does inspire me looking at people and that you get that, that instant change, that spontaneous change as well. And don't get me wrong, and most of your listeners will know it doesn't always happen with everybody. Right. But I love, I do love that, that approach. My approach is go in, 
stop the naughty noise and come out as quick as I can and uh, without too much torturous stuff going on as well, digging up the past and all that. Yeah. I mean, would you what would be your thoughts on this statement that it takes it's that phenomenon of single trial learning it takes only a few moments to take on the issue it may be compounded over time but it's kind of the same presupposition we would fold into a fast phobia cure that it only take a few moments to learn this issue and my phrasing of it would be that it only can take a few moments to learn something different instead absolutely absolutely if it takes a few seconds to go in it can take a few seconds to come out the compounding issue is is something that can be changed over time as well but you know that whatever happened for that to wire itself up to go in and um and to stay a phobia a fear and anxiety whatever it may be it only took a few seconds really to go in and so it can take a few seconds to come back out at the same time you know and, and given uh, resources at the end of the session and given resources to to allow them to manage it straight afterwards is, is, is key to it as well so you know it doesn't manifest itself back and i'm curious just to hear your response on this are there certain categories where the conversation we've been having so far perhaps doesn't fit into it are there certain categories of change, as it were, where you found that working towards the rapid change may not be the right strategy? Um, or does it kind of fit into everything? Yeah, well, I mean, schizophrenia I've kept away from. That's a personal thing. A lot of people say to me, oh, well, you should be doing this. It's a personal thing for me. Schizophrenia, I think that, you know, things like that, people that have uh, got serious psychosis issues, I, I, I tend to leave those. Bipolar, I've had uh, great results. Um um, it, with fast ideas and some not, you know, it's just hit and miss, but, you know, generally depression, I've, I've been able to turn around in, in one or two sessions as well. So it's dependent really. But I mean, going back to the initial question is I, I don't tend to work with schizophrenia, um, and those sorts of things. And, you know, they're, they're an elongated process, aren't they? So I just tend to leave them. Yeah. Yeah. So then getting into that sort of mindset of that process, are there things that you're doing, even before the session officially begins. And of course, as the practitioner, we know the process begins the moment they're aware of us. But is there certain things you're doing to begin to stack the deck in the favor of the change before the formal process actually begins? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and as you know, is, is that the process starts for the for the client as soon as they pick up the the yellow pages, the the internet or whatever it is that they're looking for for support. You know, something internally has told them to come look for us, and um, that process starts there. But when they do make that contact with me, my when we agree that we're going to work together, because it is an agreement process. Some people I do turn away because I feel that they're not right for me, or that you know that there's probably other options. I pass them on to other people. However. Um, if we do agree to work with each other, I do start the process there and then and start with, you know, just start that process kicking off hypnotic stories, hypnotic stuff over the phone. Really, that's where I start. So, yes. So by the time they come to me, they're already started that process, which enables me to then just sign and seal it really at the end of it. Yeah. So let's rewind the story back. What was your experience? What was your story getting into hypnosis? Uh, my, if the viewers haven't, I heard it before. I mean, you know, I did 12 years in the British Army. Um, I served um, all over the world. I did plenty of things. I've been to many sandy places. And I've been to uh, places within the UK that, that the UK government sent us to, Northern Ireland, Kosovo's, Bosnia's, the conflict that was in Cyprus um, that was still ongoing. People wouldn't know about that. But they, there's little things like that that I've been to. Uh, I spent 12 years going around the world doing that. And then I became a counterterrorism officer within the – I left the army. I then joined the police within the UK. Um, and it's like I have to explain is that in the UK, uh, in America, Canada and many other countries, you have um, your police officers are armed 
immediately. In the UK, I think, and I may get the statistics slightly wrong here, so don't batter me, those people listening, um, is that out of 130,000, let's say, UK police officers, only around 25,000 of those carry firearms. Out of that, it's only roughly around 5,000 of those um, officers that are trained in firearms um, actually go to SWAT standard uh, to what we, you know, to, to dynamic entry level officers. And that's where I was. So I left the army, I joined the police, became a SWAT officer, for want of a better word. And, um, and then, uh, you know, went through day to day life. But on August the 4th, 2006, um, uh, I was sat at home and I was run over by a drink driver. And when I say sat at home, I was literally sat in my house when a drink driver decided to appear in through the front of the house. And um, literally, I went out to assist, initially thought I was assisting uh, somebody that had lost control of a car, and um, grabbed hold of the car, realized it was a young, um, young 17-year-old lad who had been drinking all day at a funeral. He'd been out drinking, uh, he'd been looking for cannabis, he'd been looking for cocaine. He, he told us openly in the statements what he'd been up to. And um, I wrapped my hand around the, around the seatbelt for some strange reason. Wrapped my hand around the seatbelt, and as the car fell down, I got trapped underneath it, was dragged approximately 80 yards backwards, and then when he realised he couldn't get out, he hit me again and had the common decency to take me all the way back home again and left me out the front, which left me with severe um, leg injuries, back injuries, shoulder injuries, arm injuries, um, minor fracture to the skull, C2, C3, slightly damaged as well. So when people see me running around head like a headless chicken, it's probably because I've got more internal damage. But um, but no, um, uh, that happened. Um, my body started to fix. Uh, and after 18 months, um, I started to come off the tramadol and the brigabalin, uh, painkillers and all that, you know, high high end painkillers. And what happened then is, is this horrid little creature called post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm came out and um like i've mentioned to many people before it was it was like this horrid creature really starting to come out it was horrid and uh you know lack of sleep um anger uh, frustration there was numbness devoid of any human contact really and you know with my partner at the time there was nothing i had nothing to give um i i didn't think you know at the time i didn't realize myself it was actually happening to myself it was others that were watching and as I slowly came off the tramadol and brigabalin, more and more as my body fixed, it was then tr- quite apparent that the post-traumatic stress was, was becoming a demon itself. Um, and what happened was it just became more and more volatile until, until eventually I started um, sneaking tramadol and brigabalin into Jack Daniels in first thing in the morning to try and numb that internal dialogue, that naughty noise, that monkey noise, that thing that was going on, horrid, horrid things. And um, so, so anyway, moving on, slightly is uh, about six months after i'd gone back to work so we're talking about you know 18 months two years down the line um a colleague of mine said carl you're not right i said yeah i never have been so uh as most people know here at ht live i've never been right anyway but the thing <laughs> is, <laughs> is that the uh the, he just said you're not right you're not you know you're not you're not you what's wrong you're happy go lucky now you are very straight laced very aggressive very quickly to turn on people and um i said i just don't know and he said how would you like to know some more about hypnosis and i went go go away it was like get out of it the last time i saw anyone under hypnosis they were trying to get rid of a square egg and you know thought they were trying to do this that and the other you know uh and and i thought hypnosis was only funny and, and then he educated me which is what i love doing now educating people on hypnosis is um he he taught me how to do certain things he did some hypnosis on me and after one session with him 
it dramatically, dramatically changed my life. I cried for, for probably nine hours, eight, nine hours. There's some people that are listening to this that were there that day when it actually happened um, in the UK. And uh, I cried. I cried and I was drinking beer. Funny enough, I was drinking beer. You wouldn't believe that, would you, Jason? I was actually <laughs> And um, I, while I was drinking this, drinking a lovely pint of English ale, um, I was crying and laughing at the same time. Mass, mass ab reaction, mass. You just can't, can't, I can't even quantify. He's just laughing and giggling, and the next minute just crying. And um, what was apparent is that everything that I'd experienced in my military, my policing, and the road traffic collision that I was involved in, the road, the accident, sorry, that I was involved in, had slowly started to pop out like a pressure cooker, a mass pressure cooker. Mm. Like somebody had started to lift that heavy weight off and allow the steam to come out. And that is exactly the way that I do things. And from that day, that is why people see the animal as in me in the way that I do hypnosis and love educating people because it's it's very key to me to show people how powerful this stuff can be and if you are in a dark place that you're not alone and it can be fixed that's where my passion comes from jason that's that's that was me really that's how my road to this started so then based on that experience based on the work that you've done with your clients over the years there are some who would say that there's no value in digging up the past event there's no value in quote dragging them back through the mud of yeah. um the the ab reaction of the emotional states or even some of the past of the past events what would be your response to that i am not one for taking people back to past events i never will do mm-hmm. um if you know it's it's something i don't need to do um you know you know there, there are many different methods i've found my methods where i don't have to uh, take people back all the way back and relive that if somebody said to me i don't and i don't want people to find, get offense in this but the reason i'm not a big fan of counseling um and that type of talk therapy is because when i did go through counseling for what i went through he did exactly that to me mm-hmm. he attempted to take me through some terrorism things that i had been through whilst I've been in the military. He also tried to attempt to um, uh, get me to relive tumbling continuously underneath a car, listening to my bones crunch, mm. which isn't fun. You know, and why, why would I want to do that? Why would anybody do that to anybody? And that's why I'm very much, I deal with the person sat in front of me um, and, and I deal with the, the emotions and the things that are going on there and then. Um, and I get down to the root cause, but in a very, 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 um, you know, softly manner rather than very direct. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I don't need to. I deal with the person there and then. I don't drag them through the mud. Yeah, yeah. So if anything, it's more dealing with that emotional state. And by doing so, that's going to then trigger back and do that cleanup for you. Yes, absolutely. And I find that by clearing up the emotive states and by removing that emotion, I mean, it's like people always, when, when I'm always doing my courses, Jason, it's, it's people always say, well, you know, how do you get rid of it? I will never, ever get rid of what I witnessed when I was in the military. Never. I will never get rid of the night on August the 4th, 2006, when I was run over. However, I, I remember them and I remember the things now very clearly. However, the emotive and the emotion that goes with them has completely gone. The rawness, that horrid rawness that went with them as well, is now gone. It's completely gone. And that's what I work with. We never, well, you can't erase the memories like that. Right. You, can't, you can't, there's no point. But it's the emotion that I deal with. It's that, that rawness that I, that I love to, to show people that we can change. You know, and it's like I always say to people as well that the worst day of my life was the best day of my life. If I hadn't been run over by a drink driver, I wouldn't be sat here talking to you and your great listeners now, would I? <laughs> so, 
It's about how I can talk about it now. And yes, time's a great healer. But I did find that that night, two years afterwards, by changing those emotions was the way that I love working. That's the way I love it. Yeah, and I'd share this kind of goes back to some of the themes you had brought up a few moments ago that uh, one of the mindsets that I bring to working with a client would be that everything is an asset. Everything is something that we can now work with. And uh, without addressing, there's different policies, there's different regulations, there's different ethics over here, of course. But here's the guy who came into my office at one point. And I've told the story here before, but he walks in with the story that I smoke because I'm bipolar. And basically, by way of a bit of sleight of mouth, he's walking out now. And because I have this issue that sometimes needs my attention, it's every reason why I never need to smoke again. Yeah. So it's utilizing that as a resource, as a strategy, which to his credit, he was there in my office specifically looking to deal with the stop smoking issue. Yet it's this place of what if that event was every reason why that you can now do this? As opposed yeah. to every reason why you can't. Here's a day a couple of months back where my two morning appointments were two guys who came in with the same exact story, yet with different results. You know, yeah. one was, well, now that I'm retired, it's going to be so easy to lose weight. Uh, I yeah. can cook for myself. I can exercise. And the other one's going, well, now that I'm retired, it's going to be really hard to lose weight. Yeah. Do you know what? And that's when I... When I- obviously in a session when people know about me and people come listen to that story about me and what I've been through in life, it's about using that to use it as a, as a jump up, as a step up onto another, it happened for a reason, you know, I don't want to go down too many routes down here, but you know, that day when I was run over, I wasn't happy in life and things changed for me that day. And it's, it's how, how you, how your perception changes on it. It's, it's the way that you deal with it. Um, I deal with a lot of people, and you may as well, Jason, and a lot of listeners as well, that people come in and think it's doom and gloom just because they've been involved in an incident. Well, I, I tend to use that incident as as a leap-off point, as a, right, that's the re- this happened for a reason. How are we going to turn it into a positive? And there's always positives that can come out of negatives. There's always more positives, to be brutally honest, than there are negatives that come out of uh, situations. And that's, that's what I teach my clients when they come through the door, giving them those resources, giving them the ideas, and, and the reframe, tons of reframing on everything, really, like you've just said. So and it's about giving them resources. So let's jump into the office. Then someone's coming into your space. They're going to work with you. What's kind of that experience that they're about to jump into? <laughs> it's a whirlwind. It's, <laughs> it's carnage. I, I think most of them need therapy after they've left. Um, I, I'm, you, you know what I'm like, Jason. A lot of people as well do is that. I'm um, of the opinion that I don't need to do a lot of closed eye therapy. I don't when, when I'm doing my hypnosis, I do a lot of rituals and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of the work is done prior to me myself going into those ritualistic um, hypnosis inductions. Um, I do a lot of work prior to that, a lot of you know work talking to them, reframing, doing what I need to do, um, and getting them ready. And then when I need to when I when I've made the change work, I then go into amplification by using hypnosis. That's the way I do it, and um, you know. Giving them the experience, whether it be I'm taught, you know, like most of us in EFT, TFT, other tippity tappity things and hypnosis and other things that have gone on. And, and it's about using those resources as well. So when they come to me, it's an experience. So at the very end, they go, okay, now what happened there? So it's really rapid change work. And and when they come in, I hardly sit my clients down. A lot of people ask me that as well. I hardly sit my clients down. We've got lovely leather chairs in the office. I don't use them. They're always standing up. Most of my work is standing up to give that experience. So when they do go, when they do leave, it's like, 
there is shock on some people's faces, to be brutally honest. Um, I'm very direct. I'm very, um, I'm very harsh as well. But people love that. If people want softy, softy, and they want to go listen to whales, windy staircases, and <laughs> other stuff, then you can go find somebody else because you ain't getting it with me. It's very direct. It's very dynamic, and it's very in your face. But do you know what? It works, and that's why I attract people because it's there and then people people know that they're going to get something at the very end of it. There's something that I'd share that kind of goes along with that, that um, the style you're describing is one a little similar to how I'd work with people, that I love the experience of they come into the office and they see what they expect in terms of, oh, there's the big black recliner, there's the uh, the dim lights, there's the candles that have never been lit. Uh, <laughs> and instead, it's the, okay, great, now stand up. Wait, what? Yeah. Which is kind of throwing them off that equilibrium that anybody who is yeah. interacting with this, who has ever worked with, let's say, more than a dozen clients, it's not a skill that has to be taught. You know that moment where the client is a passive participant in the experience. Yeah, yeah that's right. And it's about and snapping out of that. It's about snapping into that active strategy so that they're the one in the change process as much as you are. Yeah. I mean, you know, when we were, we were discussing this um, the other day on, on uh, one of the one of my courses is about about the, the two of you being in the same state or in a similar state. And and I always look at it when I'm when I'm going into when I'm using hypnosis or I'm using any ch change work is that I develop my state first and then I drag them along into that. And then we get that structure. We get that change going at the same time. And, and that's key to it as well is about me being in a in a in a trancey state and into a, into a state, not, not hippie fired. I don't mean not, you know, to putting flowers and whales and all that type of stuff on, but getting myself prepared, ready to do it and then getting them into trance and then taking them on a mystical magical journey. And a lot of therapists think that they do the change work. I, I firmly don't believe it myself. I'm merely there to facilitate and push them in the right direction or, or cajole them or, or, or get them to do it. I don't do it I, as a therapist, my personal opinion, I don't do anything. I'm there merely just to push and, and guide them into a certain way. They're doing all the change work. I merely just allow them to do it. And then and then they have the resources to backfill. If they've removed uh, trauma, post-trauma or anything like that, they have the resources to change it, not me. Uh, they have the resources. So I just merely cajole it and get it into the right place. So then as you're working with somebody, how many times are you typically seeing them? Post-trauma, normally once. Uh, you can call it whatever label you want on that. I've seen... Uh, labels like po most people know that I am not a fan of the word post-traumatic stress disorder. Yes. If you look at Wik Wikipedia, disorder means broken toilet door. Well, I was never a broken toilet door, and you know you, you know what it's like as well. You know what it's like. Most most clients as well when they're given a label, and I understand labels and I respect labels. The reason that you know when when they they are given the label off the GP, the doctor, the physician, whoever it is, when they go away, they go research it. And when they go look at disorder, it does come up on Wikipedia as toilet door. So that's why I don't use it. <laughs> you know, it's about, about, you know, just doing it as quick as I can, really, and just change change work as quick as I can. Post-trauma, normally one session for me. Lots of reframe, lots of fast, dynamic stuff. So normally one or two sessions. Weight loss is the only one I take the time with, to be brutally honest. Mm -hmm. What about weight loss is uh, the reason why you do, do it longer? Um, I think it's, and I hate to use it, there's more coaching involved. Mm -hmm. It's more guidance. There's more, um, you know, just going along and, and helping with, and, and just monitoring what they're up to, giving that extra support. I'm not really one for weight loss, to be brutally honest. Um, and smoking as well, I'm not one for that either. You know, I can do them. However, they're not really me. I'm, most, I'm mostly a post-trauma, anxiety, stress type person. I will do the weight loss. But the weight loss is more of a, you know, more to help them support than guide them and just tweak 
what we've done previous sessions. Yeah, I'd share that weight loss is the similar category for me that it's yeah, I look at stop smoking, I look at removing fears, I look at removing trauma is something of a binary change. It's either a one or a zero. It's either on or it's off. And yeah. with the weight loss, they've got to keep eating. They've got to keep responding to the world around them. And yeah. in many ways, it's um, and I say this given my own personal changes over the years, that it, it kind of goes back to that label that they've been stuck in a model of because. Yeah. That, well, because this is this way, this is just how I eat. Yeah, when yeah, yeah. it's about swapping out every one of those becauses for a different outcome. Yeah. And, and the thing is, as well, with weight loss, I've found is, is that with the emotional detox, my, my, the first ever thing that I do with weight loss is an emotional detox. And it's quite surprising. And most of your listeners may have noticed this as well. Is that you do a damn good emotional detox and make them feel bloody marvelous about themselves in that first session. The rest of it all just falls into line because I've had clients go, do you know what, Carl, we've only had one session, but I feel bloody marvelous about myself. Sod the weight. I don't care about the weight anymore. I actually feel good about myself. When I look in the mirror, I feel great. And and that's exactly what I like doing with everybody, just making them feel absolutely you know, great about themselves in that one session. And then the change will pop up. And it's the same with weight loss. That first session is really the fundamental foundation of everything that you do, really. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So then along your journey, um, being the side of the hypnosis client yourself, getting into it from there, at what point in the adventure did uh, you becoming the trainer hop into all of it? Oh, well, I start, Well, I, I was very lucky because most of your listeners would have heard, uh, heard of Jonathan Chase within the UK. I'm sure you have Jason as well. Yeah. And um, when, I, when I, I went to one of them sausage factory, I love calling them sausage factory. Um, <laughs> Um, training schools within the United Kingdom who didn't give a monkey's backside about me. They took 10 months of my time, gave me a certificate that wasn't worth wiping my backside on. Sorry, listeners. But they gave <laughs> a certificate that wasn't a lot. And even though I knew Sigmund Freud's inside leg measurement, I didn't actually still know how to uh, hypnotize anyone or test. Um, and I went to see John Chase, who um, who uh, who did a two-day course at the time and it completely revolutionized the way i did things it completely changed the way that i've been taught over the past 10 months and uh, on this course and uh, i started working with john and me and john struck it off and eventually um john asked me to go work with him and do some work with him over there doing some training work well assisting him on his training packages which then led me on to develop um, after John John went away and did his thing, and then uh, about two years later, I went away and did my thing, and you know it just developed from there. I developed my own strategies, my own ideas, my own techniques, uh, philosophies, and you know it just that way really. And so I've been in hypnosis now what for eight years, and I was under the guidance of John for what two years. So yeah, it, it, it was a great journey, and it gave me you know working with John gave me a great great standing. And then going working with other trainers and. Um, Developing my own thing. I've always been a trainer, to be quite honest, Jason, all the way through my military career. So to be quite honest, standing up front and gobbing off doesn't really <laughs> – and uh, so uh, it came natural. So, But no, it was a great journey. Yeah. Is there a story that kind of stands out of not necessarily you working with a client but the experience of having a student emulating the results, a student being able to replicate these results that stands out for you? As in, have I got students that are going out there doing my work at the moment or doing what I'm doing? Yeah, either of that nature or anything else. Yeah. Well, it's funny, actually, because we've got, we've, you know, it's like with kinetic shift and stuff like that. It's, it's a technique. It's nothing new. It's about modalities and speed and that. We've got our own little private group. And every day, every day, the, the little shifters, we call them little shifters. <laughs> 
<laughs> little shifters. Oh, mine are just called workers. You win. <laughs> my, my, my little shifters, they're everywhere. And they're always doing stuff. We've had, you know, even today we've had stuff with post-trauma, people with ticks, And it's it's amazing, really, that, that these people were in the same sausage factory as I was eight years ago. I think mm-hmm. it was now. I remember now, eight, nine years ago. They were in the same sausage factory. They've been to me and they've we've revolu- revolutionized, the same way as John did with me, revolutionized the way that, that I worked. Uh, and they work and um and they're coming up with these great stories now post-trauma being dealt with in one session rather than 12 and 15 and dragging some poor bugger through you know another trench or another incident or something like that so yes um with the feedback we get in our private group we're we're getting some great stuff and and that's really inspiring it's lovely to watch and some of the read some of the people that are listening to this um you know if if you've got anything that you want to share with jason and those people that are listening to this podcast throw it on the bottom of the comments uh little shifters out there so um it, it can be nearly caught something else then but um but yeah the um but yeah, there's some great stuff that goes on, Jason. Brilliant. I love it. I love it. So the hypothetical question that, of course, would never absolutely happen in any way, shape, and form, but it's fun to ask. Uh, you are now stranded on a deserted island, and you were forced to only make use of one change strategy. Yeah. Uh, what would that be? Yes, we all tend to work in this client-centered model of dealing with what emerges and responding to the individual. But if we had to really nail it down and say, you have one technique for change— what would that be for you? Bob Burns Swan. Why has that just come up? <laughs> <laughs> Bob Burns Swan. I think it's quite intriguing, that little thing there. It's yeah. uh, woo-woo-y. And uh, I, think, I, I think I like using that technique. If I, if I was stuck and I needed to change something, I'd use a swan. Outstanding. Outstanding. Have you, have you used it? Have you met Bob? I have. Bob's been on this uh, program, and uh, I've uh, hung out with him out in Vegas a couple of times now. Well, and uh, yeah, he's, that, been on, he's been on this show, and you haven't been shut down. I have. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he was on before you, so. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. No, but no, I, I think if, if I was to take anything with me, I think it would. I like Bob's swan technique. Actually, I do. It's got a bit of woo-woo, bit of hypnosis, and a bit of um, a bit of bit of everything in it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. That's fantastic. So then, uh, what are you what are you working on these days? Well, um, I've got new trainers coming through. Uh, I've got people from about eight or nine different countries that would like to come work with me and be my trainer uh, and take um, UK Hypnosis Academy around the planet to where they are to deliver one and two day packages. So that's the the bit that's going on at the moment. We're also um, working on some ideas to accelerate the confidence of young hypnotists. There's too many, and I'm going to say it again, there's too many, in the, especially in the UK, being bumped out in little sausage factories and offered, you know, the known world when we know it's hard. It's it's not easy in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, you know, they're the sold and mispackaged, to be quite honest. Yeah. So my job is, and my what I want is I go back to the coal that used to sit there um, with a book in his hand going, um, um, is my hand stuck to this surface? Um, do I close my eyes? Do I open my eyes now? Reading a book. And that, they're the type of people that we're seeing at the moment. And I want to really, really push some of that that confidence into them, whether it be street, impromptu, um, you know, how to get out there, how to deliver themselves, how to how to engage with the public. Because we, what we tend to forget, hypnotherapists, is we're on the other side of the fence, or therapists, one of better way of saying it, is that therapists tend to forget about what it was like not to know what hypnosis is. So I love teaching people how to go out to the masses, to the general public, and educating. And that's my 
my next task is um, with Ignite, my new course, Ignite, is to get therapists to go out and engage with the public more than what they are and, and express and tell people what hypnosis is more than just some stage gimmicky thing like I did when, when I first got introduced to it. Well, is it a is it a confidence issue? Is it a strategy issue? Because yes, there's a common concern, uh, and I, and I share this statement. I've said it here before that uh, I'll, I'll take the compliment of this. But there are many people who are training hypnosis that when they get to the business module, they're pulling up my videos. And yeah, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. The, the number yeah. of times over the years that I've had someone call me and say, hey, I'm really not seeing that many clients and it's kind of hard to break even with this. How are your classes going? Is that profitable for you? And my answer is, for everything you first said, that's why I'm not going to answer your second question. Uh, because I want them, my, my branding of it is I want them to be that hypnotic worker there. You're just like you, you're seeing clients, you're teaching the classes and I'm yep. sure there's a constant refinement of what you're even sharing because you're still there doing the work too. Yeah. Yeah. So is it, is it a confidence issue? Is it a strategy issue? Or is it somewhere in the middle? I, I, it's, it's in the middle, mate, because what we're seeing at the moment is a lot of people when I'm, when I'm doing like rapid inductions, instant inductions and things like that, they, they seem to think I'm some type of Gandalf, most of them. <laughs> It's like, what the, what is that? What is he doing? How is he doing it? And that's the bit that they're missing. They're missing that confidence. Mm -hmm. And to coin a phrase that I did here is hypnotism. Yeah. You know, it's about hypnosis and about people hoping to God that the client has gone into some altered state when, you know, we can disprove that by just doing it with eyes open techniques. And it's teaching people that it's not that sitting in a reclining chair, listening to whales doing funky things in the background. It's about, you know, it's about getting people to, to understand what hypnosis really is and then how to deliver themselves and about standing on a stage, not necessarily in front of three, four hundred people, maybe just like um, Avon or something like that you know in, just on a ladies night where they you know or a gents night where they can show and demonstrate hypnosis to to new people and educate people and it's about how to deliver it so it's not only just a confidence issue it is about the business so getting them to go out there and engaging with new people with new clients and uh, new peeps like that so yeah it's, it's going to be a, a package around that really so the perfect timing now that we've uh, officially been recording for about a half an hour uh, how would you define hypnosis not a state of eyelids <laughs> um, hypnosis isn't a state of eyelids. I, you know, my personal opinion is that we're always in a state of hypnosis. It's yeah. a case of as a hypnotist. I take people out of hypnosis. That's the way that my lot. That's the way I look at it. I firmly believe that I take people out of hypnosis. Um, and an altered state. And I mean, I've been quite privileged in the past couple of weeks to be working on Sky TV, um, doing a documentary on hypnosis and hypnotherapy for them on two shows. Um, two hour long programs and we've had access to fMRI and it's it's really intriguing that you know that just patter of language and and just um, simple ritualistic inductions as well can cause those spikes and that amazing change within and alter that state at the same time which is great so an altered state not not state of eyelids I don't know I like that I like that uh, I keep coming back to the phrase about learning that so much of hypnosis is learning on one side, yes, the hypnosis strategies, but also when to do things that are just simply hypnotic in nature. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Which, again, they've walked into your space and 
suddenly you're doing the work and the both of you are still standing up as opposed to um i'm really curious to explore what it is you've got against whales uh but <laughs> whales winding staircases and 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 washy noises yeah it's just i don't do any of that you'd love my phrasing on that which is that uh the school that would uh make use of a lot of music and the school that would make use of a lot of imagery the phrase i keep coming back to you always have to remember that your dream location is someone else's nightmare yeah yeah absolutely and um i think i think you know i've the reason i'm i'm very key to mention about whales you know whales making noises in the background waterfalls and windy staircases is because i'm not that visual so when i've been to hypnotists before and hypnotherapists before in the uk and they talk to me about oh and as you just go down the windy staircase i'm like what the I don't know what you're on about. I genuinely yeah. don't get it. It really interrupts me. Whereas if somebody is really dynamic and really uh, and, and does things and just lets me get on with it, I am at peace. That's leave me alone. Drop me in, leave me there, and let me do what I've got to do. That's the best way for me. I'd share a similar experience that there's a time where I'd, I'd actually gone to a hypnotist myself to work on something. Yeah. And it, it's not to discredit the technique, but here they were doing this progressive muscle relaxation, and we we're there for five minutes talking about my elbows. And I've got to think about the client who's in the chair going, in, let's assume maybe it is a pain relief client. Uh, okay, yeah, but I'm here about my leg. And she send that relaxation down throughout your elbows. Okay, I know. That's nice. But remember the leg, okay? <laughs> Which it's that experience that, yeah. yes, metaphor, yes, storytelling, yes, imagery. These are all viable strategies in the right moments at the right time. Uh, the, but I can even point to as much as there's categories where I may be in that storytelling mode with the client, they may leave and they're thinking or they're saying to me, that was nice, but what did that have to do with my public speaking issue? <laughs> yeah. And absolutely. you got to go in and it, it, it's the phrase that you've got to satisfy the conscious mind as much as the unconscious mind. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you have coming up next? Uh, well, Mr. Scott Sandland has uh, uh, invited me over to uh, California. Uh, so I'll begin spending a couple of days with his good self over with Scott. Um, then I'm going over to see um, um, Mr. Mandel over in Toronto. So I'm going to be working with him. Um, I'm just back from Dubai, actually. I'm literally only just – I'm still unpacking. I have clothes scattered all over the place because I've been with uh, Beryl Comar in Dubai. Um, then we've got uh, courses throughout the UK. We've got a diploma course coming up. I've got trainer trainers coming up. I've got – then we've got Las Vegas coming up. And then we've got the UK Hypnosis Convention. And I really can't figure out how many hours I need more in a day, to be brutally honest. <laughs> yeah. So it's nonstop. Every, every month, I've got at least two or three courses running or I'm on courses. Because I never forget that it's always great to go away and learn other people's methods and, be, and appreciate um, other people's and not just getting swamped up by carlsmith.com so um um it's always nice to go away and do that and, and probably i might squeeze a little holiday in there for myself somewhere i don't know outstanding and we'll link to these over in the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com <laughs> though in the meantime where can people find you online if they go to the uk hypnosis academy.com uh, UKHypnosisAcademy.com. You can have a look at me there. And if you're interested, I even do free lessons on YouTube. So if you find UK Hypnosis Academy on YouTube, there is probably about 63 different rapid instant inductions, other techniques that I use um, that are all broken down step by step for the layperson. They're for seasoned mm -hmm. therapists or, um, or the newbies out there. So, yeah, you know, you can get me that way. 
outstanding. It's been wonderful having you on here. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure, and it's always great to work with you. know that. So um, no doubt we'll push up the alligator bar when we're at HypnoThoughts Live. Jason Lynette here once again. And as always, thank you so much for your feedback. Thank you so much for your interaction with this program. And what I really enjoyed about having this time with Carl is that Carl is a guy who truly is a hypnotic worker. And what I mean by that, as always, is that person who is actively out there seeing clients, really doing the work, and also at the same time, teaching others how to replicate that success as well. It's not just this one side of things to be just the trainer, to just be the practitioner, but to walk the talk and talk the walk in all iterations there as well. And to learn more about my program that I've titled Hypnotic Workers, head over to hypnoticworkers.com. Dot com. That's the entire digital access to my Hypnosis for Change training library. Everything from induction methods to strategies for deepening to hypnotic phenomenon, including strategies for change that you simply will not find anywhere else. In addition to that, we don't need any more scripts in hypnosis. What we need are more transcripts. And inside of Hypnotic Workers are real client sessions from start to finish that have fully been transcribed for you to model and make use of these strategies as well. Learn more by visiting hypnoticworkers.com. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at worksmarthypnosis.com.